0: Hey y'all, Eves here. We're doubling up today with two events in history, one from me and one from former host, Tracy V. Wilson. On with the show.
1: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's September 1st. On this day in 1920, there was a catastrophe aboard a submarine called the S-5, also known as the SS-110. The S-5 was an S-class submarine from the U.S. Submarine Force, and it left Boston Navy Yard on its very first mission on Monday, August 30th, 1920. It was supposed to get to Baltimore, Maryland on September 3rd, and the crew was supposed to do maneuvers and training along the way. On September 1st, they were supposed to do a crash dive that would take the submarine from the surface down to periscope depth in under a minute. But this drill didn't go as planned. It turned out that one of the air valves didn't seal correctly and water started filling up the sub's ballast tanks when it shouldn't. The valves that were being used were really hard to wrangle, so gunner's mate Percy Fox went to try to help the situation. The only problem was that when he did that, he didn't complete his own task that he needed to do before the dive, which was to close the main induction valve. So when the command was given to dive, and they began diving, water started pouring into the inside of the submarine. It fell to Lieutenant Commander Charles M. Cook Jr., also known as SAVVY, to figure out how to save everyone's lives as this submarine sank to the bottom of the ocean. First, he tried to seal off all the parts of the submarine that had filled up with about 75 tons of water that wasn't supposed to be there. He sealed those things off. He blew the ballast tanks. That didn't help. He started trying to force out the water using pumps, which also was not effective, Then he used compressed air and that did work. It cleared some of the unnecessary water, but the result was only that the stern of the submarine started rising up. The rest of the submarine was still underwater. Even though after this compressed air attempt was sort of successful, the sub started slowly, slowly rising back up in the water, This near vertical position meant that water was running into the battery room. And if the water spent too much time in contact with the batteries, it had the potential to form toxic chlorine gas. After several hours, 20 feet or so of the boat were up out of the water, but the escape hatch that they would need to get out of was still way underwater. So the crew of this submarine started trying to drill their way out through three-quarter inch thick steel They had an electric drill that they almost immediately burned the motor out of, so they had to use a manual drill, the kind that you crank and crank and crank and crank to try to get out of the submarine. They did make a hole, but as the hole let air escape from the sub, that meant more water was coming in. So this turned into a race for the crew to try to cut their way out of this hole before they all drowned or ran out of oxygen. The lack of oxygen became an increasingly huge problem. Eventually, Lieutenant Commander Cook, one of the few men still conscious at that point, saw a ship through the hole that they had made. He flagged it down using a shirt that was tied onto a copper pipe. The SS Atlantis came to help. They secured the S-5 with chains and cables so that it wouldn't sink back into the water. Then they had to pass that hand drill out through the hole because the Atlantis didn't have any kind of drill to help. They kept on with the manual drilling. Another ship called the SS General George W. Girtles passed by and came to assist as well. And finally, 36 hours after the original incident, they had a hole big enough for the crew to crawl through. The crew began evacuating. Cook was the last person to leave the sub. At that point, he had been awake for more than two days. Everyone was rescued the submarine sank it back down to the seafloor. For a long time, its exact location was lost, although it was rediscovered in 2001. You can learn more about this incident and the dramatic rescue in the November 26, 2014 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to the Stay in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a catastrophic fire.
0: Hi there, welcome to this day in history class, where we sift through the artifacts of history seven days a week. The day was September 1st, 1969. Idris, the first and only king of Libya, was overthrown in a coup while he was in Turkey for medical treatment. Muammar Gaddafi, a Libyan army officer, was named Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces and the chairman of the Revolutionary Command Council, Libya's new governing body. Gaddafi reigned for 42 years, until he was killed in October of 2011. Gaddafi was a controversial figure, with some viewing him as an oppressive and eccentric dictator and others praising his reforms, charisma, and anti-imperialism. Gaddafi was born in Libya when it was an Italian colony. Libya gained its independence in 1951, and it became a constitutional and hereditary monarchy under King Idris I. Early on, Gaddafi was politically active. He was a fan of Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser, who advocated for socialism and Arab nationalism and argued against Western colonialism. Gaddafi himself was a devout Muslim, an Arab nationalist, and critical of the monarchy under King Idris. He read works by revolutionaries and about revolution. In the early 1960s, Gaddafi began military training in Benghazi, He graduated from the Royal Military Academy in 1965. But while he was there, he became part of the Free Unionist Officers Movement, inspired by the Egyptian Free Officers. He and some of his friends planned to overthrow King Idris. The monarch was falling out of favor with more Libyans as Arab nationalism gained support and people were unhappy with the monarchy's corruption and ties to Western nations. After rising through the ranks of the military and gaining power within the Free Unionist Officers Movement, Gaddafi decided to stage a coup with his fellow officers to overthrow the Libyan monarchy. On September 1st, 1969, Dozens of officers in the Free Officers Movement overthrew the monarchy in a bloodless coup while Idris was out of the country. After just a few days, the Libyan Arab Republic was declared. Experienced officers and civilians were appointed to senior government positions. But while the Revolutionary Command Council was in theory meant to discuss issues until a consensus was reached, Gaddafi suppressed his opposition and exerted his own will. Gaddafi had taken over Libya at just 27 years old. Gaddafi made changes under what he called Islamic socialism. He closed American and British military bases in Libya. He replaced the Gregorian calendar with the Islamic one, and people were required to use Arabic in official and public communications. Gaddafi nationalized finance, business, and industry, including big oil interests. He also banned alcohol and nightclubs, and declared the Quran the law of the land. In 1970, he expelled all Italians from Libya, He also opposed Zionism in Israel, and expelled Jewish people from Libya. And Gaddafi supported Pan-Arab unity. He criminalized political dissent, and he worked to turn Libya away from the West and toward the Middle East and Africa. Gaddafi eventually transitioned to a style of government that he called Third International Theory, under which he further distributed wealth among citizens and funded housing, agriculture, and healthcare. care. He summarized the tenets of his third international theory in a series called The Green Book. The text explained the problems with liberal democracy and capitalism and uplifted Gaddafi's policies. Throughout the 1970s, Libya intervened in the affairs of neighboring countries and forged agreements with others. Gaddafi's role was divisive. He encouraged groups to kill Libyan dissidents in exile abroad. Western nations, especially the United States, took issue with Gaddafi and Libya's support of terrorist and revolutionary groups around the world, like Palestinian groups, the Irish Republican Army, the Black Panthers, and the Japanese Red Army. Gaddafi has been accused of sexual abuse. He also instituted social programs that improved the standard of living in Libya and garnered a cult of personality around his peculiar persona. For instance, he traveled with a group of women bodyguards in heels. And many supported his vision of pan-Africanism and African self-sufficiency. Tensions between Gaddafi and Western nations eased in the 1990s. But in 2011, Gaddafi was captured and killed during the Battle of Sirte, with an autopsy revealing that he was shot in the head. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully, you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments to tell us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T D I H C Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you again tomorrow for more tidbits of history.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.